Carter radio program, but it's Greg Brady in for Alan Carter one more day. Alan will return tomorrow. I am guest hosting. You can reach me, Brady, at 640toronto.com. Well, we had a lot of fun yesterday. We're not done the couple minutes as opposed to close to the whole show on Don Cherry, but I can't wait to get rolling. Did you know that we've got record-breaking cold temperatures, as Tina just mentioned? I'm reading the Weather Network headline Record-breaking cold temps ahead of more poorly timed snow. And you're asking what I'm asking right now. When is a good time for snow unless you ski or you shovel it for a living? Poorly timed snow and record-breaking cold temps. The other thing is, you might wonder this from time to time, because all our climate data starts in 1880. They go back to 1880 because scientists had no idea... I don't even think we had scientists in 1880. We didn't have a lot of stuff in 1880. You sure couldn't order your groceries online. I've checked. But in 1880, you also were very skeptical about the reliability of the temperature. And I'd even say that for 1940. Really? I mean, we don't even have color television. We don't have cars that go more than 35 miles an hour. So you're trusting Fred or Bob to just put his finger in the air and know what the temperature is? Anyway, it's the coldest uh, November 13th ever. And there's lots on television, so let me start with this. There's a new show on today. It's not on Disney. We're going to talk about Disney a little bit later on. It's called The Impeachment Show. And it's it's been on before, but we got a totally different cast of characters. It's brought to you by the same folks who brought you the Desert Storm War show. I watched a lot of that in, uh, in first year university in uh, 91. The Lewinsky Scandal Comedy Hour. Do you remember how long that lasted? 1998. That was a little salacious and... And titillating, if you will. And the death to the Taliban show really, really brought a lot of, uh, of of violence to the screen late in 2001. So I bring this up because it won't be difficult to find today. The question is why we, and, and you got to play along even if you're not, are so compelled by it. There's two types of Canadians in my universe. And I'll admit full on, I'm a very American-centric person. There are those that will watch the impeachment hearings. And there are those that will say they didn't, but actually do. There's something about, I I don't pay any attention to the states. I'm Canadian. We talk too much about American stuff. Well, I I admit, I'm an exception. My middle sister went to college there. She's always worked there. She's there right now. She's a field hockey head coach. They're in the NCAA Division III tournament today. So go get them, Rochester. I don't usually say that. But Rochester is actually a nicer place than you might think. My uncle and aunt and first cousins, they all live in Ohio. Uh, Certain members of them in 2016 may or may not have voted for the current POTUS. And when I find out more, I've been investigating them for three and a half years. They'll be outed uh, right here uh, behind this microphone and asked to explain their decisions and actions. You have to live. You have to be accountable. I've lived and worked in the States for nine years. Some of you may not know that. I paid taxes most of the time, uh, statute of limitations. I was a homeowner. One of my two sons is American-born. And so America's always on my radar, and it might be on yours as well. For some of you less than me, I concur. But I've heard from very few Canadians who don't see at least a slight reflection in the mirror when we hold up the political and social insanity and social media insanity of the last several years in the States. And I didn't start, you might note this, I didn't start in 2016 talking about the insanity. It didn't begin with Trump winning the White House. It didn't begin with him running for the White House. It didn't even begin with Trump lying several hundred hundred times on television talk shows that Barack Obama, elected in 2008, was not a U.S. citizen. So it's very difficult to pinpoint. But I would say we used to know what America was about. We used to know that even if you lean left and couldn't stand Ronald Reagan, 
or lean right and despise and maybe still do the Clintons, except Chelsea. When's Chelsea ever done any harm? We knew that they were still a big brother, America was to us somewhat. And I don't have a big brother. I didn't have one growing up. But if I did, I bet you would be like America and Canada. I wouldn't want to emulate everything he was doing or did or follow blindly all his life choices or, you know, be impressed by all his girlfriends or, um, you know, all his life uh, music choices, movies, etc. But guess what? I know that my brother would be there and America has for Canada. I'd hopefully respect his strength. And we just have to with America from Canada, and I'd surely appreciate his influences. And culturally, let's face it, America always does provide for us. What's your favorite TV show of all time? It's an American one, isn't it? It's it. Don't, stop it. It's not the Beachcombers, and it's not Anne of Green Gables. Those were well produced with tax dollars. But you can, and Megan follows. What's your favorite movie of all time? It's not David Cronenberg's Dead Ringers. That's not true. Or Jesus of Montreal. Just because it won seven Genie Awards, it doesn't hold up to Goodfellas of the Departed, and you know it. Music. Okay, that might be something. We've got stars galore. Adams, Cochran, Young, Cohen, Dion, Downey. We might be on close to equal footing there if only Phil Collins was Canadian. But he's not American either. I mean, do you like Phil Collins, to quote American Psycho? But what they always give us is theater. How do I know? A British comedian named John Oliver makes $3 million a year doing a half-hour commentary show 34 weeks a year. He gets 18 weeks of vacation, generally talking about America and their politics and issues. And I watch, and you might also. But these impeachment hearings that I'll dive into after 1230, and you'll dive into, they might depress us because we won't recognize America as we once knew it. As much as we alternate sometimes between respect and awe and anger and disappointment, America, for me, has never truly made me sad. But I've been sad. I don't think it's something, uh, you know, genetic. I don't think it's something I'm not drinking or not eating or eating and drinking. It's just made me very, very melancholy. Americans I know are sad. There might be no going back. We can't um, underemphasize this enough. America puts itself back together very well after it tears itself apart. Watergate, Vietnam, Jimmy Carter, Iran hostages, Iran-Contra, Clinton impeachment. By the way, this isn't some remix of uh, We Didn't Start the Fire by Billy Joel. Those, he, he wrote that in 1989. He included some of that, but not all of it. So the gamble's obvious here for the Democrats, and I'm glad they're doing it. And why, I'll tell you in just a sec. Listen to Representative from California, Adam Schiff, talk about what he's expecting as day one of the impeachment process begins. If we find that the President of the United States abused his power and invited foreign interference in our elections, or if he sought to condition, coerce, extort, or bribe an ally into conducting investigations to aid his re-election campaign and did so by withholding official acts, a White House meeting, or hundreds of millions of dollars of needed military aid, must we simply get over it? Yeah, that's what they're asking. The Republicans are asking the Democrats to do. Get over it. Well, they can't listen to, well, guess what? I don't think he's going to be impeached by the Republican-held Senate. So what? When the police know someone's committed a crime or suspect they have, they arrest them. They don't weigh what the conviction potential is or the possible sense. That'd be a dangerous road to go down. Hey, this might cost them the 2020 election. Well, that's got nothing to do with laws being broken, lies being told under oath, and mass examples, mass of extortion and blackmail spoken right into media microphones and cameras and telephone calls to the Ukraine. But if we're thinking this will be a moment that brings America closer together as opposed to pushing it further apart, making it seem like two different nations posing as one, 
That's what makes me sad. And you should be sad, too, no matter what side you're on, because the America we once recognized, though it might polarize us and we might talk about, I go all the time, I go cross-border shopping, I go to football games, I watch television shows. It doesn't matter now because it doesn't make a difference in terms of the political scheme. That's probably more likely. And that's why, despite this being great entertainment for me, a couple friends have already told me they've been watching all morning. They can't get any work done. This work for home thing doesn't work for employers unless you can block out all the channels showing the impeachment hearings. So it comes with great degrees of true sadness for me. And we as Canadians have to watch. And we have to also hope for our country. If you think we're even somewhat divided right now, we have to hope it never gets like it is south of the border. Let me shift to this. Last night, Don Cherry did an interview on Fox News with Tucker Carlson. It needs some context for a hockey commentator. And yes, in Canada, iconic, beloved, influential, steadfast. Many are outraged that he chose Carlson to explain what he did Saturday night. And you've all seen or heard about it by now. If you didn't choose an avenue as many consider odious and rank as Carlson's show, please note when I say many are outraged, and I just said it twice, I'm breaking my own rule. So as an aside, it's like when you hear the phrase, lots of people on Twitter. First of all, lots of people are not on Twitter, ever. 91% by the most recent study don't have an account, or they never look at it, or both. Twitter is outraged as a self-fulfilling prophecy. Be really careful in the news game if you hear the phrase, Twitter is outraged, because guess what? It happens most days, ending in a Y. But if you either feel a modicum of empathy for Sherry or you're thrilled in celebrating his demise, you're you're doing it wrong if you're criticizing him for going on Carlson's show. You're showing your intolerance. If we can agree that Sherry wasn't fired over a freedom of speech issue and I roll my eyes and bang the table when I hear it, you are not owed free speech at your workplace and especially as a broadcaster and especially as a broadcaster that has paid sponsors who can ultimately suffer financially and cost them potential employees and careers. Because of the ill-conceived free speech argument you think Cherry should have, you can't then criticize what he's absolutely free to do. And that's go on Fox News and go on with Tucker Carlson. And I watched the whole thing last night. No matter what you think of Cherry's political views, if anything, Carlson's views make Cherry look like he could be running Cuba, like in 1978. I won't even listen to the concept that the Democratic candidates for the presidential nomination in the state should refuse to appear on Fox News. Elizabeth Warren, love you like a sister, but you got to go on there. Pick the host you want. Pick the time slot you want. Pick the location you want for your town hall. Stack the audience. Stack the questions. But you got to go on because you might be able to swing just, I don't know, thousands of voters in key battleground states. Make sure it's a level playing field. Don't not go because you don't think you're a team that can win a road game. That's cowardice. So Cherry was able to look moderate next to Tucker Carlson. Here, take a listen. Nod at the traditions of Canada. Like, why is that, why well, is that controversial? Well, don't ask me. And the big thing is, I should have said, if I had to come through, if I had been smart and uh, protected myself, I should have said, everybody should be wearing a poppy. Yeah, well, like, I okay, went downtown Toronto. Yeah, and that's fair Fair enough to the whole thing. It's the two words that, that got it that you people, and as you know, people are very sensitive like that, and that's, uh, they got me. But I, I listen, well, they're not, I, was I mean, if I just clarify, they're not sensitive at all. They're fascists. They're not, they actually have no real feelings. They're faking their outrage. They're trying to crush you because they want to exert yeah. power because it makes them feel big when actually inside they're small. 
That's Tucker Carlson's show with Don Cherry as guest last night. So sometimes two things are true. Carlson's right in that there is a lot of fake outrage out there. There's an unbelievable amount of fake outrage, rage, and it costs people on the right, and it costs people on the left. And if you're in the middle watching this going, I'm a pretty moderate person, it enrages you that people so diverse are doing the same thing and pretending to be more upset than they actually inside are. But that's not what cost Don Cherry his job. In any context, last night, he comes off as moderate, regretful, reactionary to his own mistake, which is a better tone than any other reaction Rittner said about him since Sunday afternoon. And there are actual logical human beings saying they're more offended that he went on Carlson's show than even the worst interpretation of what he said Saturday and what he didn't say Saturday. You may not think you're ceding the moral high ground here if you're condemning Don Cherry for his choice of appearances, but you're kind of sinking in the quicksand of the logical high ground, even if you try and keep the moral high ground. we got a great hour for you here. Coming up next, Steve Pakin from TVO lays out the case why the Liberal Party here in Ontario are not, not a slam dunk to take down Doug Ford in the next provincial election. I, I know, it's a long way away, but the reasons... Why he says so might completely surprise you. The excellent Steve Pakin next. If you want to react to what I just said, 416-870-6400 or star 640. Or you can email Brady at 640toronto.com. My name is Greg Brady. I'm guest hosting for Alan Carter. And this is Global News Radio 640 Toronto. I read an interesting column from the host of The Agenda on TV Ontario. I check it out uh, as often as I can. If I told Steve Pakin that I watch it all the time, nobody does anything all the time. I always tell my wife this when she says, you know, every you do this all the time. And I say, no one does anything all the time. You, you're just noticing it four or five times a week. But he wrote a column on uh, TVO's uh, website about why the next liberal leader faces a daunting task of historic proportions. Now, the headline grabbed me because I thought, oh, well, this is just so obvious right now that Doug Ford might be a one-and-done premier. But we've thought that before. We sure thought Dalton McGuinty's time had come in 2011. We might have even thought Mike Harris, with all the cuts to education, was a one-and-done premier in 1999. Here to explain why... Doug Ford's sitting in the catbird seat right now, maybe more than three and a half years before the next Ontario provincial election, is the host of The Agenda TV Ontario, Steve Pakin. Steve, you wrote and, and really swayed me, and, and I think you nailed it. You covered an awful lot of issues, financial and just statistical and otherwise, why it's going to be very, very difficult for the Liberals to mount uh, as much of a charge as they'd like to, given the carnage that took place going from 58 seats to seven in the last election. It's the highest mountain that any political leader ever has had to climb in the 162-year history of the Ontario Liberal Party. Does that sort of lay it out? <laughs> now, you, now, you mentioned money. Um, I, I always think, you know, infrastructure for things like Olympics, or even on a smaller scale when Toronto hosted the Pan Am Games, you look two or three years in advance and you go, ah, it'll probably get done, doesn't look ready right now. Can the Can the Liberals find fundraising over the next few years i mean we're talking 36 to 48 months where where they can fill the coffers up because as you said they're rather depleted right now well keep in mind it's always easier for the governing party to raise money than for a party that's got five seats and is the third place party in the legislature so that just goes without saying uh, obviously people who give money expect something for that and a party with five seats can't do much for them the government can do a lot more for them so that's obvious 
The second thing is Kathleen Wynne, when she was premier several years ago, uh, changed the fundraising laws, made them a lot tougher. And as a result, the old days of the sort of wild, wild west where the limits were a lot higher and the ability to fundraise was a lot wider, uh, those days are gone. And uh, the limits are much tougher and who you can get money from is a lot tougher. So the liberals are going to be looking to replenish their coffers in extremely dire circumstances and with much tougher rules in place. It's just simply going to be harder, Greg. Steve Pakin is our guest, of course, host of The Agenda on TV Ontario. You can see it every night, uh, Monday through Friday at 8 o'clock. I, I look at, at the scenario also. You probably heard whispers and of, of people who think, well, I could run. You know, I've got some political experience or people know me in my community. I could run for the Liberals and because of how unpopular Doug Ford's ratings are, we'll be able to win. And, and you've been able probably, hearing those whispers, you're your argument is not so fast, my friend, isn't it? Well, you know, obviously it depends on Mr. Ford's popularity to see whether or not the liberals have a shot at coming back in the next election. Uh, okay, let's set that aside. Here are the facts. The fact of the matter is, even when you lose, most parties come back with, what, 30, 35, 40 seats when they lose? Uh, that means you've got 70-some-odd candidates to find for the next time out. That's not what the Liberals have to do next time. There's 124 ridings. They have five seats. The next leader has got to find 119 people who are prepared to put their lives on hold and knock on tens of thousands of doors and raise money and put volunteers together uh, across the province of Ontario. No one has ever had to recruit that many people before. It's an extremely tall order. And beyond that, you know, let's not assume that every riding association across the province has got a president, a treasurer, a board of directors, volunteers. I'm told that there are anywhere from between a third to a half of those 124 ridings in the province of Ontario where the Liberal organization is essentially dead. They have no infrastructure. They have no money in the bank. So again, the next Liberal leader who will be chosen next March has just an absolutely Herculean effort ahead of him or her in order to deal with the challenge ahead. So for prospective new MPPs of the liberal variety, do you almost think there's going to be have to be a heavy recruitment process, a sell job almost, uh, like a college football coach, as opposed to two or three strong candidates in each riding that'll have to, you know, uh, bare knuckle it out to decide who the candidate's going to be? Are they going to have to go looking as opposed to people looking for them? That's job one. Mm -hmm. uh, well, <laughs> in a way, there's job one, 1A, 1B, 1C. There's just sort of five top priorities that the new leader will be hit with all at once. And the fact of the matter is, um, I think having a seat in the legislature will not be central to that mission. You know, you, you often when a new leader comes in, uh, you know, somebody's expected to resign, an existing caucus member, in order to help the new leader find a seat. Uh, that's not going to happen. The Liberals, uh, because they're not an officially constituted party in the legislature, they don't have 12 seats, they're not, um, they don't have research budgets, they don't have ice time during question period uh, in the way that a normal party would. And as a result, the next leader has the luxury, if you want to put it that way, of being able to fan out across Ontario without having to worry about showing up at question period or, or duties in the legislature. And that might be a tiny advantage mm -hmm. that they have. But otherwise, just a very, very, very tough job ahead. And, uh, you know, I mean, I posited in this um, piece that I wrote on TVO.org, I said this may be the one leadership convention where the winner actually envies the losers <laughs> because the job ahead is just going to be so, so difficult. Steve Pakin, our guest from TV Ontario. I can think of two elections. I don't, I don't think you have to be in your certainly in your 70s or 80s to remember these where it's a fool's game to try and predict something three and four years out. Mike Harris was 
infinitely unpopular with what with his cuts sounds familiar cuts to education and and cuts to health care in his first couple of years but by 1999 steve as you remember and i remember he still won a majority he went from 82 to 59 seats john snoblin of course was the was the ill-fated education minister he still held a majority and i'd even flip the flip the switch dalton mcginty looked like he was toast in 2011 when tim hudak was going to run against him and mcginty won that election rather easily as well with barely a majority but it was Actually, it was 53 versus 54, so it was a slight minority. Both those premiers, Harris in 99, McGinty in 2011, to me looked dead in the water two years before. Uh, They did, and that's why there's an old expression, Greg, a week Mm -hmm. is a lifetime in politics, and we have numerous lifetimes until the next election. To be sure, the next liberal leader's job will be slightly easier if the current government and its premier are very unpopular. Uh, But, uh, I mean, it seems to me, just looking at this thing objectively, that Mr. Ford has sort of figured out that he doesn't like being as unpopular as he was in his first year, Mm -hmm. and they've made some changes, and he seems to be, you know, uh, he seems to be turning things around right now. So I'm not sure the Liberals can count on the Conservatives to be deeply unpopular uh, two and a half, three years from now when we go back to the polls in the province of Ontario. Uh, but, But to be sure, uh, whether the Liberals have an opening to get back in the game will very much depend uh, on whether or not the, the Ford government has figured out how to turn around its um, its difficulties from the first year. When we look back on the conservative win, it's hard to believe it's only been 16 months, and no pun intended when I say win. How damaging was it in retrospect? There was a lot of Monday morning quarterbacking. There is with every provincial and federal election. How damaging was it that Kathleen Wynne entered that election still as the leader, as opposed to another name that, that could have built up some acumen and some, some trust among the electorate by now? Well, you know, everything is hindsight. Sure, we can say after the fact that Kathleen Wynne uh, ought to have maybe stepped down six months or a year earlier and, and allowed somebody else to try to rebrand the Liberal Party. But how many times do you recall in Ontario or Canadian political history, for that matter, that a leader came in, won an election, mm-hmm. won a majority government, and then step down without being offered a second opportunity to win re-election. I mean, I don't think it's ever, I, I can't recall it ever happening. So in some respects, Kathleen Wynne was, if I can use this word, entitled to try to win a second consecutive mandate. If it appeared to her, and I guess it didn't, but if it appeared to her that there was absolutely no hope, I suspect she would have stepped down for the good of the party and allowed somebody else to come in and try and keep the dynasty going. They did manage to go 15 years, which in today's day and age, excuse me, is a pretty good yeah. run. Uh, but for whatever reason, she didn't see that. She stayed on. Uh, you know, what happened happened, and now they have an extremely deep pit to try to climb out of. Uh, the column is fantastic. It's on TVO.org, as you mentioned, Steve Pakin, host of The Agenda. Before you go, I know you love your sports. I do, too. Your, and in some cases, our Hamilton Tiger Cats this weekend, Steve. It's, I don't know where you were 20 years ago. I was just starting to work in, uh, in Detroit. I the game. Are you, you kidding? I went to the game. That's incredible. At BC Place against Absolutely. the Stampeders? You know what? I flew out there just for the game. <laughs> I literally flew out there. I went to the Grey Cup game. The Ticats won. It was one of the greatest days of my life. And then I think I took a red eye home. I didn't. Even, I, I must have been in Vancouver for all of six or eight hours. It was yeah. it was magnificent. It was twenty years ago. And of course, I'll be at Tim Hortons Field on Sunday, looking forward to the Ticats punching their ticket to the Grey Cup again. Well, I, I know you love putting politicians on the spot. You're you're you have a dogged yet fair interview style. Are you willing to guarantee to the AM six forty listeners that the Hamilton Tiger Cats will be in Calgary next week at McMahon Stadium for the Grey Cup? Will you guarantee that, sir? I, I'm in no position to guarantee anything, but you can bet I'll be on my knees praying for it. <laughs> Steve, I loved having you on, and I'm a huge fan of your work and uh, and what you do. Thanks very much for doing this for us.
Too kind. Thanks a lot, Greg. Great to be with you. Steve Pakin from TV Ontario. He's not wrong. I never thought about it before, but you can't go down to single digits in the provincial election. They went 58 to 7. Like Doug Ford and the Conservatives, 76 seats. We forget the NDP. What a strong performance that was. And a lot of people remember this. Switch their vote. They really did. Kathleen Wynne kind of conceded the election, and and I'm sorry. There's too many liberals out there, and too many uh, you know people that were running and supporting and in their ridings that looked at Wynne staying on and thought, well, this is going to go rather disastrously, and it went more disastrously. There's no one in the province that predicted single-digit seats for the Liberals. And they've got a long, long way to bounce back from. Because as much as you think, well, uh, David Peterson got trounced when Bob Ray was elected in 1990, the Liberals still had 36 seats. Oh, oh, uh, Ernie Eves, when he took over for Mike Harris, nah, he still had 24 seats as progressive conservative leader. The Liberals have seven. They, that's 69 behind the conservative. Doug Ford covered the spread. Okay, and, and, and then some. So it's a big uphill climb, and there's a lot of time uh, for the Liberals to try and do it, but there's a lot of time for Doug Ford to do things in the next two and a half, three years to make people forget maybe the first 14, 15 months, if you're not a fan of what's been done so far. Coming up, we want your phone calls on the impeachment proceedings. We generally watch this American stuff as theater. Canadians turned out en masse on their televisions for, like I said, Watergate, Iran-Contra, for the impeachment of Bill Clinton in 1998 and the Lewinsky scandal. Are you in on this? Is it difficult television to watch? Is it helpless television to watch? 416-870-6400, 416-870-6400, or star 640. Take your phone calls on this coming up next. It's Greg Brady in for Alan Carter. This is Global News Radio 640 Toronto. You ever see those quotes and you're not sure that you would say it if you were in that person's position, but you might have to say it because it sounds good? We have to do that a lot sometimes, right? You have to say, I'd love to go see uh, the in-laws during the AFC-NFC championship game weekend. I Yes, let's do it Sunday instead of Saturday. I have no other plans. Here's the quote uh, that I'm that's sticking out with me, uh, and it has all morning. Representative Mike Quigley is a Democrat from Illinois. He's a member of the, of the uh, Intelligence Committee for Congress. And he said today, I trust the American people to figure this out. I, I don't. So this is the problem, and this is why we're here where we're here now. Really, this is where it's at. Now, admittedly, everyone deserves fairness. Everyone deserves a hearing. Everyone should be declared innocent until guilty. But that's why they're having hearings here. That's the entire concept of this. It was okay to do with Brett Kavanaugh last fall, wasn't it? He, he, he was allowed to speak his piece um, in between the comments about how much he enjoyed beer, like everybody that I know enjoys a nice beer once in a while. Your phone calls, 416-870-6400. Let's go to Joe in Vaughn. Joe, you're on uh, with Greg Brady. Go ahead, Joe. Thanks, Greg. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I don't. I don't believe that he uh, that he he should be impeached. I think it's the, the problem here lies. The Democrats hate this guy so much since he took office. They were hoping that Hillary Clinton was going to win. And how can they, Pelosi and all these other guys that have been in office for thirty years plus, all of a sudden Trump is creating all these problems? I don't believe them one bit. I think it's because they hate him. And they just want him out of office. Do you? But are we also there where you would agree that the other side hated 
President Obama that much, that they would have been doing the same kind of investigating if Obama was accused of doing this. And Obama was far from flawless. I, I, if I had a half hour, I'd list the things that disappointed me over eight years. But that's where politics is right now. There's just no middle ground. And that's frustrating to me because I like hearing both sides of an argument and an opinion. I think we all do like hearing both sides of an, of an opinion. But um, in, in terms of the other side, it seems like the, the left is controlling everything right now um, regarding um, uh, climate change, regarding anything, transgenderism. If it's not their way, you're, you're painted as either a racist, a bigot, uh, an idiot, uh, whatever other name that they can call you from. So, what choice do people have? But you know, they have to, they have to, they have to stand back and say, okay, look at, we're not bigots, we're not idiots, but what are we going to do? Somebody's in control, and somebody's in resp- somebody's being responsible for all these uh, issues that are happening right now. Well, it, it, look, this is why. And thanks for the phone call. This is why I think um, smart, logical people have just stopped having these kind of discussions in their households. And they've stopped having them at cocktail parties and they've stopped having them at at concerts, sporting events, libraries, wherever, because they're not going to change anybody's mind. I used to be not easily swayed, but I could listen and I could evolve my opinion on things. And I think we've just our collective cars have just the brakes don't work anymore. We're not able to stop. And if anything, we go in the other direction. You're not wrong. If I come on this radio station, I say, you know what? We need to have a serious conversation about changing our immigration policies. You don't know what I'm going to say next. But you're you're honestly in, in some cases, your racist alarm goes off. Your racist alarm goes off. And if we go to a commercial break and we do this or there's a newscast, you're not sure what I'm going to say. It's a hell of a tease. And you're meant to do that in this business. But you don't know what I'm going to say. I might go the totally opposite direction, but you're alerted and you're and you're alarmed. And yes, here's the T word. You're triggered. You're ready for something. You're ready to react vehemently uh, and virally as well. Uh, to something. John in Elmvale, uh, you're on uh, Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Go ahead, John. Hello. Hi. Yeah, yeah. Um, I find I find it like the, uh, the other fellow was saying, it's basically more of a, a witch hunt that they're uh, doing. Uh, when you listen to uh, John Oakley talk to Conrad Black and the way he puts spells it out, that he says there's nothing there at all you know, for these Democrats. Are you surprised Conrad Black thinks that? Yeah, like you, you, no, no, no. Answer my. Are you surprised Conrad Black thinks that President Trump's done nothing wrong and there's no hint of anything illegal or immoral about his governance? Are you surprised? No, not, 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 no, 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 no. He did say anything about the governing, but in the case about the part about the impeachment and that, uh. and the process of what they're trying to do and trying to get rid of Trump on the impeachment side, ended up he's uh, screwed up uh, uh, Donald Trump has, but. The way, if you listen to what John Oakley and uh, uh, yeah, Conrad Black I, talked about, it, it made made a lot of sense that these Democrats are on a witch hunt. They're trying to persuade everybody in America to basically think like they do. And uh, would you say the other side is not? Would you say the other side is not doing the same thing that the other side is trying to get all of America to think a certain way about Donald Trump? Well, I, I believe yeah. There's a lot of some. A lot of Republicans are doing the same thing as if they are Democrats underneath uh, in uh, uh, sheep and wolf's clothing, so to speak. Well, my thought, thanks for the phone call. Look, um, we're not going to agree on some of what you said, but at the same time, you don't you're not wrong. And you nailed it in terms of where the politics has gone. 
I'm worried this is being done out of desperation, and I'm worried it's going to be painted that way and narrated that way that the Democrats don't think they can win in 2020 with Trump sitting there running again. And I don't know what stops him. If he's impeached now, I don't know what stops him from going back into the primary process other than he's in jail or he's dead. I can't think of anything that stops him from running again in the process. And he'll win again because you got to be careful who you make a martyr out of, especially now. Well, I'm not talking 30, 40 years ago. You make a political martyr out of somebody, they're going to rise again. And it may... I don't know how it could be worse, I suppose, if you're on the other side of these issues, but it could be something else. Let's lighten our load a little bit. Disney. Yes, Disney is streaming. Disney Plus is streaming. Apple TV Plus is streaming. Last I checked, which was around 11 o'clock last night, Netflix is still streaming. Amazon Prime is still streaming. How can it all fit? And are there going to be winners and losers in the streaming game? And will they be the cable companies? We'll talk about that coming up next. This is Greg Brady in for Alan Carter. This is Global News Radio 640 Toronto. mistake this is one hell of a pop song make no mistake i don't care what your demographic is or whether you, you think trump's being witch hunted or not this is re- it really doesn't harry styles from one direction on to I'm, I'm a walking concert calendar he's coming to toronto july 3rd and 4th uh this is a show you can enjoy your your, your wife or girlfriend can enjoy vice ver- vice versa uh your kids every grand grandpa speaking of grandpas he isn't but isn't he? No, he's a father. But Elton John will hit the Goodbye Yellow Brick Road tour once again here, March 28th and 29th. Look, you can't have a three-year retirement tour. This is not, you have to leave the Yellow Brick Road for us to be able to say goodbye. And you're coming back, March 28th and 29th. This will make five, I believe, Elton John farewell concerts uh, at Scotiabank Arena over an 18-month span. His last dates are apparently in the mid-range of 2021. Uh, at the O2 Arena. So there you have it. Um, so Disney Plus started streaming yesterday. They are up and running. Uh, zipping over from uh, Global is Adam Wallace. Um, you're listed as a Disney streaming expert. Soon you're, you'll branch out and do more than just that. But tell us about the early reviews. Tell us about the early concepts of Disney. Really, they, they announced months ago, Adam, they were going to throw their, their hat into the ring, and they are really going after the Netflix audience, weren't they? That's right. Well, it's it's day two since launch of uh, Disney Plus. I can say that I'm a member and proudly. It's proudly, of yeah, course. Okay. And it's already it's already crashed. Yesterday, uh, people Canada wide have been reporting that they they can't get through to uh, customer service. And that's not about their local internet provider. Uh, you know who knows? Are they on dial up? <laughs> is that happening? Possibly. LTE instead of uh, their wireless, really? Possibly, but even even still, people were getting the message notification that uh, they were they weren't in a country that supports Disney Plus, even though oh. Canada very much is. 
So they'll work all this out. What, what I think people will be fascinated by is what what is Netflix losing that will go to Disney? Some huge movies. Is it the, Mar- the Marvel shows, the Marvel movies? What are the big things that you may not see on Netflix if you haven't checked it out that Disney Plus will sort of pilfer away? That's right. So over the last year or two, uh, Netflix has had all the big Marvel films, the big Star Wars films, all the recent ones, and slowly they've been taking them away. At this point, they're all gone. Uh, Disney now has most of those, mm-hmm. but there's no official list for Disney Plus, so they're slowly adding them back without letting you know. So you kind of have to figure it out for yourself. Um, right now, they, they don't have Solo, the newest Star Wars movie, but they have the previous three. It's very... Uh, it's the very ones random. that are sort of the continuation of the trilogy. That's right. Right? Yes. Yeah, I don't want to give anything away from uh, The Force Awakens or... Any, no spoilers. Or, or, no, nothing about Kylo Ren. We won't... Okay, we won't do that. But uh, but it's also cheaper right now than Netflix. They're obviously... They thought, let's get in on the ground floor and when we add stuff... And, and we've seen Netflix do this. If if we asked our listeners what they originally paid for Netflix when they got it eight, nine years ago, it's different than what they're paying now. In some cases, half That's of what right. they're paying now per month. So for Disney, right now, it's nine bucks. If you sign up right now a month, uh, if you do the whole year, it's $90. But that's probably going to go up because they have stuff from ESPN, uh, National Geographic. Right, Disney owns ESPN. That's right. right. They have plenty to offer, so those prices are probably going to hike right up. Could there be a loser in this? Um, Could Amazon? It's hard to see Amazon suffering at all. We don't want any money taken out of Jeff Bezos' pocket. Divorce is painful and costly sometimes. I don't know that, but right? Right, yeah. Okay, yeah, we agree. (laughs) I I honestly think that... um, Apple might be the loser in this. I know they just launched the uh, Apple TV Plus. A lot of original shows, right? The newsroom one That's with right. Steve Carroll, Jennifer Aniston, right? The, the morning show, yeah. The morning show, yeah. They only they only have about two original shows right now, I think. And I mean, Disney Plus has the same, but Disney has this huge back catalog, whereas Apple doesn't have much to work with. And the cable companies, I wonder about that. Um, and, and in the States especially, like there's 10 times as many people, thus there's 10 times as many potential consumers. You do have to wonder how they'll feel about this because if people were cutting cords before, I don't know if this, this gives them more incentive to, but you can only afford so much, right? Like you can only, you know, if your kids say, oh, come on, we have to have Disney Plus, then it means we got to drop something, right? You add something, drop something. That's right. I actually just cut uh, the... The HBO to get this. I mean, I have Netflix, Prime, and Disney now. How are you gonna watch the new season up. of Curb Your Enthusiasm? You can't come over to my place every Sunday at 10 p.m. Uh, we were just we just I, met. You know what? I already have. I have the Seinfeld box set. I have all the other Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yeah, they're not making DVDs. new Seinfelds. They're making new <laughs> Curb Your Enthusiasms. That's the only reason I had it anyway. You know what I think this is like, especially, and I have kids, and you don't, right? No. Okay. No. So this is to me is like sugar cereal commercials. Okay. Because if a parent just brought home like bran flakes and corn flakes and Rice Krispies. That's that'd be fine, but kids, it, like I don't want my kids to even know Disney Plus exists, but I'm worried they already do. So like then there's commercials for Lucky Charms and Frosted Flakes and Sugar Smacks and all the all the junk stuff, and that's what makes you want it. It's just a, it's a McDonald's works because they advertise, right? That's true. It's true. It's very true. Have you seen The Mandalorian yet? You know what? I watched the uh, the first episode this morning. Tell me about it quickly. Yeah, it was it was really cool. What I thought was interesting is because when you think Star Wars. It seems a lot of other people have uh, English accents, like me. Um, yeah. But have you been in a Star Wars film before? Is that no, an aspiration? Not that I know. Of. I mean, I know this is this is pretty much peak career right That's, here talking to me. But yeah. Star Wars, Star Wars film, or the well, after the second season of Disney, The Mandalorian. <laughs> That's that's what I'm going for. But uh, I noticed that a lot of the it's all American yeah. actors, and that just 
It doesn't feel very Star Wars to me. Oh, sorry. Uh, I, I, like, it depends where your shooting locations <laughs> no. are. They shot the original. All they could find was British extras when they did the original Star Wars. It, it's a They thought it was going to bomb. Uh, I can't thank you enough for coming in. Can people find your work on uh, on the global site? That's right, globalnews.ca. Just look for Adam Wallace. You'll find all my uh, music articles there. Let's do it. I uh, hope uh, and enjoy both Harry Styles and Elton John. I'm sure Can't you'll be, uh, yeah, be floor wait, seats Greg. for both. You can bring me to one, but not the other. Sure thing. Uh, Adam Wallace from Global Online. Thanks very much for listening today. Jeff MacArthur is next. And Alan Carter will be back tomorrow. This is Global News Radio 640 Toronto.